an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. We definitely encourage creativity. Whatever works, do it. I know. My favorite story is a woman who was moving into mid-stage Alzheimer's. She would feed her dog every day and then hide the bowl. Hmm. So the husband could never find the dog's food bowl. And mm-hmm. for him, that was that was his stressor. You know, we all have different stressors. That was mm-hmm. his stressor. So to solve the issue, he nailed the bowl to the floor. <laughs> but it's thinking outside the box. That and is it indeed his stress to zero. Mm-hmm. And she was still able to feed the dog and find the bowl. Dementia discussions here to help and empower our heroic caregivers with knowledge and experience. Dementia discussions with the caregivers themselves and memory loss professionals. Here to help with 30 years as a geriatric social worker is your Dementia Discussions host, Barbara Hammond. Susan Halland is a gerontologist and the program director at the Alzheimer's Association California Southland Chapter. In this position, she is responsible for the delivery of care and support programs in the organization's six-county territory, as well as developing the dementia capacity of health systems and community-based organizations. Susan has worked in the field of aging and Alzheimer's disease for over 25 years and has received numerous national awards recognizing her contribution to the field. She holds a master's degree in gerontology from the University of Southern California. Susan, it's great to see you and welcome to Dementia Discussions. Thank you. Good to see you as well. Thank you. You went to my alma mater. I know. I think a lot of people have gone to uh, USC, come to think of it, especially in this area. Yes, absolutely. And we stayed in Southern California. Well, how can you beat it? It's so true. (laughs) Can't beat the weather. So I've known you for years, but I don't know your story. I don't know what brought you to the Alzheimer's Association. What's your personal connection to Alzheimer's disease? You know, like many people, especially individuals in this field, I have had family members who have had Alzheimer's disease, dementia, vascular dementia. We're not quite sure what's going on. So I have the personal family connection. And I think we were first as a family faced with changes in cognition with a family member, probably late 80s, early 90s, when there was absolutely no information out there. Physicians would just label changes as, you know, depression or grief or just she's getting older. So I always felt compelled to help other people, that next generation of family members, of caregivers. And I think a lot of times people don't know what questions to ask, so they don't ask. So I really have made it my personal mission to make sure that we can reach those individuals sooner to get them information, to get them resources, to get them linked into programs and services. And hopefully by that sooner than later approach, we can help avoid a lot of crisis situations that we both see all too often. That is a really good point. People don't know what to ask. I absolutely agree. Yeah, there was, um, (laughs) she's a star, so I won't mention her name, but her mother had Alzheimer's disease. And this was again in the 80s. And she called the Alzheimer's Association helpline. And they said, well, how may I help you? And her response was, I don't even know. 
I don't even know what question to ask. Mm -hmm. You know, I need help. I need information. I just don't know what. And so it's how do you also encourage people to take that first step when they don't even know what to say or ask for or do? That's a great that she did. Great that she called you. So it's a good question. When do most people call the Alzheimer's Association or look you guys up on the website? I mean, I would think that it would be when they're first diagnosed or their loved one is first diagnosed. Is that right? So the Alzheimer's Association helpline is available for anybody at any time before a diagnosis, after a diagnosis, or towards end of life. And I think it really is a kind of a complex question. There are individuals who wait until a crisis to call. You know, mom and dad are doing okay for now, but something happens. Maybe the keys need to be taken away. There's some behavioral issues. The caregiver becomes sick. So people will reach out. I think a lot of people are increasingly aware that Alzheimer's and other types of dementia is not a normal part of aging. So we're seeing an increase in individuals calling or tapping into our website because they want to know what the warning signs are. Is forgetting keys in the house normal or not normal? And then we are with families during that entire course of the disease process. So when there maybe are times to think about placement, time to think about end-of-life decisions, hospice, people tend to reach out to us again. And during this past 10 months, during the pandemic, we've seen a shift in the type of calls coming into the helpline. And it's more for emotional support, you know, very complex situations, rather than that concrete transactional, I need a support group, I need an adult day program, I need a fact sheet. So just for general emotional support during this time. Yeah. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think, I mean, all along, and I mean, again, you've had experience with this, family members who provide care for a loved one, they want to be that best caregiver they can be. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really selfless individuals. So I think, again, sometimes their health suffers from that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm doing this podcast is to help those caregivers, absolutely, who are selfishly taking care of their family members. And I think for many, it is hard to then be able to step back and say, well, okay, you know, I do need the emotional support. Mm -hmm. I I don't need anything. You know, if you want to provide help, help my loved one who has disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or or my favorite is when families have access to respite, they'll say, well, you know, I'm just going to save it for when things get bad. You want to say, well, I I think it's kind of bad now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But yeah. So how do you get caregivers to kind of engage? Yeah. To take care of themselves. So I'm glad to hear that, that people can go to your website, not just at the beginning when they're diagnosed, but through any stage, beginning, middle, end. I think that's really good to note that you have programs throughout the course of the illness. Right. Because the needs and the issues are so different, you know, pre-diagnosis to early stage to mid and late. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do like about the Alzheimer's Association website is that we do have an online messaging board, All's Connected. Mm-hmm. So, again, for individuals that, you know, everybody's different that might hesitate to pick up a phone. Mm-hmm. or not comfortable surfing the web, you know, we also have other means for them to get information and get connected through like messaging boards or, you know, other ways to kind of engage. 
So is that a 24-7 chat that they can get on any time? Right. And it's also what's also good is a lot of it's peer-to-peer. And I think that's where a lot of the necessary support is. You know, I'm in the same situation as you. I, you know, I get what you're talking about. You know, you don't have to provide that big, long history. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I did go on your website and what you had mentioned before about what people wonder, is this normal, this forgetfulness, or is this something happening? You do have a good form on that, the warning signs and what's normal and what's not. Right, right. I always joke, you know, we have the 10 warning signs and it's like on a Monday morning before my third cup of coffee, I'm like, well, maybe <laughs> I'm like, you know, none of those 10. But it really is understanding, you know, kind of the differences, like what is a normal change, you know, mm-hmm. forgetting keys or forgetting to mail a birthday card and what are red flags? You know, I, I <laughs> yeah. don't know these keys are for my car or I mailed not one birthday card, but 10 birthday cards. <laughs> And I think that's where people kind of can understand some of the differences. Mm -hmm. We have um, some incredible individuals who are part of our early stage advisory group with the Alzheimer's Association. And these are individuals who are very articulate and in some cases, very young. So a lot of them are able to say, you know, I look really pulled together. You know, I'm articulate, I'm well-dressed, I'm out in the community, but you don't see all the posting notes at my house. Mm-hmm. You don't see all the apps on my phone that remind me of very basic things. So I think we need individuals who are able and willing to speak up to also kind of highlight what those differences are and also challenge the norm that, Absolutely. that only impacts older people too. Yeah, I had a guy in my support group who volunteered for the association. He was a young guy, successful producer, you know, music producer. And I agree, he was changing the face of Alzheimer's. No question about it. Remarkable people. Yes, who are willing to come forward. Stigma and all, which is, it's great. I mean, and I think you bring up a good point. I mean, even though this disease has been around for a long time, there's still so much stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. And um, this individual I was just mentioning, she talks about how she was embarrassed. You know, I'm embarrassed that I am, you know, in my 50s and I can't remember something that you just told me. Mm-hmm. And just kind of the stigma around kind of brain diseases and kind of shifts and changes in cognition. And then, you know, talking about how different communities and different cultures view mm-hmm. dementia and Alzheimer's and additional stigmas. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. First, what are the programs for people in the earlier stages? I mean, maybe people are getting diagnosed earlier and so they're coming to you earlier. Do you think? (laughs) So I think there are still challenges with getting an accurate and timely evaluation and diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Alzheimer's Association puts out facts and figures every year. Last year, or maybe the year before, sorry, my dates are fuzzy. There was a report on primary care physicians and most primary care physicians expect their patient or the patient's family to initiate conversations around changes in cognition or concerns about memory. But if you look at, and in this case, it was Medicare beneficiaries, they expect the physician to bring up the topic of, are you experiencing any changes? Let me run a screen on you. So there's a real mismatch in the Mm -hmm. expectation of who should initiate these conversations. And I think, isn't it? And I Mm -hmm. think in general, there still is a level of, not a level of comfort, 
incompetence at a primary care provider setting to do that evaluation, the diagnosis and treatment of Alzheimer's. So we hear from families that it is oftentimes still a challenge to get a diagnosis, whether that is access to specialty care or of providers dismissing changes in cognition because of age, you still look okay, you know, it seems mm-hmm. like you're still doing well. Mm-hmm. So one of the um, initiatives with Alzheimer's Association is really looking at health systems. How do you allow health systems to develop a greater dementia capacity to, again, do that earlier diagnosis, which we know earlier is better, mm-hmm. and then manage that individual through the course of the disease? That's interesting. So you're educating the whole sort of physicians when they should talk to patients about that. And I guess families. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's also really interesting because we offer a project ECHO. So again, it's building capacity. ECHO is extending community health outcomes. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it's been used with a lot of other diseases. And it doesn't just look at that primary care provider, but it looks at that provider office. So the participants in a Project ECHO could be the physician, a PA, a nurse practitioner, the front office staff, social worker. So it really is a holistic approach, because if you think about who do you touch, you know, where do you get your information when you go into a medical doctor's office? It might be the receptionist or it might be the person taking your blood pressure. It's not always that physician. Mm-hmm. And you could have called the office five times to make your appointment or to, yeah, then they would know. The doctor wouldn't know that you called the office five times, right? right? Yeah, good to bring in everyone. So let's say I have dementia, not from Alzheimer's disease. Let's say I have from Parkinson's disease. Is it still okay for me to call the Alzheimer's Association? Absolutely. The Alzheimer's Association actually covers any type of dementia. And fairly recently, we did update our mission statement as well as our vision statement to include all other dementia. And for me, working with family members and also people living with dementia, it's really that day-to-day challenges that are going to be similar regardless of the cause of the cognitive changes. So somebody who is having behavioral issues because of Alzheimer's or Lewy body or vascular dementia or Parkinson's, they're going to be similar ways to respond and help that caregiver manage that behavior and ideally, you know, kind of reduce or lessen the likelihood of it reoccurring in the future. So to me, it's what we struggle with on a day-to-day basis is going to be the same regardless of the cause of the cognitive changes. And that's what we talk about in our support group, too, when families are searching for the exact diagnosis. Sometimes we just say, you know, it's kind of academic. I mean, you're dealing with your parent or your spouse day in and day out. Usually there's no specific treatment for different types of dementia. So, yeah, it's all the non-pharmacological interventions, which are so important. Mm -hmm. And that's also where we as you know, caregivers or family members need to learn a whole new set of skills. Yeah, absolutely. I love the caregivers who say, well, you know, I understand I should never say, don't you remember? Mm -hmm. But then it's changing our normal course of interaction and communication. And so, you know, then then you see them 10 minutes later saying, well, don't you remember? (laughs) 
And so it is such a challenge for family members because it really is acquiring a whole new set of skills and also relearning patterns of behavior that oftentimes have been established over 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah, decades. Absolutely. That's where I find support groups are so helpful. It's interesting. I had a conversation recently where I was asked to make sure people understood the benefits of a support group. And I thought, but aren't they obvious? Mm -hmm. But no, you're absolutely right. And I think it's that peer-to-peer support Mm -hmm. and kind of led by a trained facilitator who really allows kind of the exchange of like the practical tips Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And like normalizing. And I think some of the most creative tips I have heard have come out of support groups. Yeah, no question about it. And not from me. It's from the other member. It's from the the caregivers themselves. Yeah, never will you find it in a textbook. Right. But I think it's just that, oh, I'm going to get my sayings wrong. Um, Creativity is the mother of invention. Yes. And we definitely encourage creativity. So whatever works, do it. I know. I know. I know. My my favorite, my favorite story is a woman who was moving into mid-stage Alzheimer's. She would feed her dog every day and then hide the bowl. Hmm. So the husband could never find the dog's food bowl. And Mm -hmm. for him, that was, that was his stressor. You know, we all have different stressors. That was his Mm -hmm. stressor. So to solve the issue, he nailed the bowl to the floor. <laughs> but it's thinking outside the box. That and is it indeed his stress to zero. Mm-hmm. And she was still able to feed the dog and find the bowl. And there the dog you go. Ate. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> it's so clever. Yes, that's great. So are you finding that there's a usual profile of people who call the association um, you know, I don't know if there's a typical person, especially as Alzheimer's disease and other dementias has really become a little bit more mainstream. So mm-hmm. we still typically see women between ages 45 and 65. However, we do have teenage kids who are providing that care and starting to reach out. I think overall, the greatest challenge is how do we reach more people? How do we reach individuals that haven't reached out into a program or service because they don't know it exists? They don't understand the benefit Mm -hmm. or other reasons, which again, going back to stigma or shame or even as simple as, you know, I'm not a caregiver. I'm a daughter. Right. Not recognizing. Right. And since, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia impact everybody. There's no community or corner or nook that is protective at this point. It really is a disease that impacts everybody. So it's how do you make sure programs and services reach everybody? How do you bring what we two individuals do to scale to reach everybody that's impacted? And so do you have different programs in different languages or different communities? Right. One through the Alzheimer's Association, you know, diversity and inclusion is significant and we recognize the importance of including everybody. And we have partnerships with organizations that are well rooted within different communities. Uh, we do offer programs and services here in California Southland chapter. Our programs are in English, Spanish, Mandarin, Korean. And on occasion, we can try to adjust for some other languages. 
The Alzheimer's Association 24-7 helpline can be answered in over 200 languages. So, And I think that what I enjoy being part of a national organization is that you can pull resources from other corners of the country to benefit like our constituents who live here in our backyard. That's great. Do people have to pay for your programs? All of our programs and services for family members, people living with the disease are at no cost whatsoever. Wow. So it's donation. It's all donation based. We do have donations. Uh, We do grant proposals. We have fundraising events as well. So a pretty diversified funding stream, which to date has allowed, again, support groups and education and talking and problem solving and creating short-term action plans with a master's level clinician are all at no charge to families. Wow, that's great. I know we have walks, Alzheimer's Association walks. Tell us about some of the events. So in the fall, we do have walks to end Alzheimer's, which are in a lot of communities. Every June on the summer solstice, we have the longest day. So that's almost like a do-it-yourself type fundraiser for someone who doesn't necessarily want to go walk somewhere in a group or virtually. It might be I host a knitting event and everyone donates $10. So Mm. it's a lot of really fun ideas that people have come up with. One family had an annual pool party and they said, don't worry, just come. And so they sold everyone a towel for $10. That's great. So mm-hmm. it's, it's great fun ways to do that. And then we also have um, this year will be virtual, but a gala as well. Yeah, Elle White and your organization does the karaoke. Yes. Yes, invites everyone to do karaoke, which is so fun. Yeah. It's great. It's also like a different way of looking at fundraising. And mm-hmm. I think it engages individuals who don't necessarily, some people do like to ask for money. Um, mm-hmm. And some people prefer to do it a little bit in a softer way. So I think that's why I like the longest day. And it just allows people to be really creative as well. Another quick question about your support groups. Do you have support groups geared towards young onset or is it everyone's welcome or how does it work? We, we do have, for the most, you know, everybody is welcome to any. Um, and mm-hmm. as you know, some support groups develop certain kind of cultures to them, as I describe. And you find this support group fits me because, you know, everybody's in the same stage or everybody's a woman. So that sometimes naturally happens very organically. We do have support groups for individuals living in the early stage and also some social engagement opportunities. So it's less that supportive environment and more of that engagement opportunity. So one would be like coffee and conversation. Mm. So Mm -hmm. again, it's not necessarily facilitated by a trained individual, but it's kind of the group leading itself in what would be normal. I mean, coffee and conversation is very normal. And we do have uh, support groups available for caregivers of individuals who have early onset frequently it's a whole different game just because of the age. Mm -hmm. Um, During the pandemic, we did start up a support group for individuals that have a loved one in a care facility. Their needs were very very different uh, than say the needs of somebody who is caring for somebody at home. But I have found over the years that caregivers support caregivers. And oftentimes when you think, you know, how are these people going to mesh together? They come from all different parts of life because they have this common experience, 
that lends itself to kind of forming these really incredible bonds. Mm-hmm. And like we had discussed earlier, caregivers help caregivers. So, yeah, absolutely. so maybe my loved one's in early stage and your loved one is in later stages, but you, I can learn so much from you because mm-hmm. you've been through this journey. Absolutely. So, so for support groups, I just say always find the one that fits the best. Yeah. Now that they're virtual, you can really, you can try really, many different support groups. Yeah. That's really helped most definitely. Yeah. And even in the virtual environment, and I don't know if you've seen this, we're finding individuals that had been unable to attend like brick and mortar groups or mm-hmm. education now have access to this whole new realm of care and support and knowledge because they, you know, don't have transportation issues or, you know, it just, it fits for them. For now. Right. They don't have to leave their spouse at home alone. Now they can attend a group. So. Yeah. So I think a lot of the elements that we have learned, you know, through virtual programming will probably continue because I it hope serves, so. Yeah. It really reaches a new group of individuals. At first, I thought it wasn't going to transfer online, but groups are fine online. They really oh, are on isn't Zoom. It yeah. amazing? It's amazing. Yeah. I think people still miss the chatting over coffee and chatting mm-hmm. in the parking lot and the hugs. But I think this has been an incredible opportunity, learning opportunity for all of us. Yeah, no, and, I um, agree. Yeah. And sometimes we get to meet these persons with dementia, which is great. They come into the screen. So it's really fun for everyone. Yeah, all good. Okay, well, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to share with the audience? You want to tell us your website? So our best website, which is for everybody, would be www.alzisandzebra.org. So alz.org. And then from there, individuals can select their geographic area and drill down to very local programming as well. And then our 24-7 helpline number is 800-272-3900. So 800-272-3900. And we'll leave your website and your helpline number in our show notes as well. So Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Susan, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom with us. I so appreciate it. You are very welcome. Thank you so much. And to all of my listeners out there, I want to thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to the Dementia Discussions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review for us after you subscribe. Thanks again for listening and hope to see you again next time on Dementia Discussions.